This week at Bridgeway, we conclude our winter guest speaker series with our brother and sister Israel and Adrian Houghton. Israel Houghton is a world-renowned recording artist, songwriter, producer, multi-instrumentalist, and last but certainly not least, a gifted worship leader. He formed the group Israel and New Breed that has produced gold-selling albums. Israel has released 11 albums through his own record label, Integrity. Known as one of the most influential songwriters in Christian music, he has won numerous awards, including Dove Awards, Stella Awards, as well as six Grammy Awards. His better half, Adrian Bylon Houghton, is no stranger to industry success on her own. With a career spanning over 20 years, she has given the world multiple hits as a member of groups 3LW and the Cheetah Girls. Adrian has starred in several TV shows and movies throughout her career, including the Cheetah Girls films, Coach Carter, and That's So Raven, just to name a few. Since 2013, she has been a co-host of the daytime talk show, The Real, for which she won a Daytime Emmy Award. Together, this power couple has partnered in ministry and music endeavors. Most recently, their album Feels Like Home Volume 2 has been nominated for a Grammy Award for Best Contemporary Christian Album. Join us in welcoming our guests, Israel and Adrian Houghton. Your host for this conversation, our very own senior pastor, Dr. David Anderson. So glad to be here with, with my friends Israel Houghton and Adrian Bailon Houghton. We already saw your introduction. You guys are very, very uh, accomplished, but maybe people don't know that you're accomplished together because you weren't always together. And I'm just so happy that you're here today. Thank you both for taking the time to be here. Thank you for having us. It's, what an honor to be yeah. here. It's so good to have you. Well, we, we know you sing. We know you lead worship. We know you're all like all TV stuff and <laughs> Cheetah Girl stuff. We got all that. But I want to talk to you about real life stuff. And at Bridgeway Community Church, we've been talking this year in our theme to be mature and mighty in Christ. And what does it take to become mature and mighty in Christ? And while we can read a lot of scripture and talk about that, and that's important, we've got to find that maturity in our everyday lives with family and marriage and children and money and health. I mean, these are all the things we, like, how can I be mature and mighty in the midst of all this? So if you don't mind, I'm going to ask y'all just a few questions. Uh, but let's start with the whole marriage thing. How'd y'all, how'd y'all find each other? It actually is kind of crazy. In 2010, I was approached to do a film, uh, a faith-based film. And at the time, my management, just keeping it real, was like, mm, not really something we think you want to do. It's an independent film. Uh, maybe that's not the direction you should go in. And the writer of the film, it was actually a film about his real life story. He actually ended up reaching out to my mother on Facebook and pretty much saying that God had spoken to him and told him that I was the person that was supposed to play the role of his wife in this film. And my mom reached out to me and she was like, Adrian, now, you know I raised you better than that. She said, you know, after everything that God's done for me in my she career. She exactly, though. She's like, she's like, listen, Nana, after everything God has done for you, <laughs> you know, you ought to give honor to God and, and do this film. It has a, a great story about redemption. And the film was pretty much about a guy who was living in the streets. He actually was possibly hustling a little something. And he ends up meeting this woman of God and it completely changes his entire life and he ends up becoming a pastor. And it is a true life story and some of you may have seen it. It ended up being the film I'm in Love with a Church Girl with Ja Rule. So... Um, Thank so you, Mom. That, Mom that, was there we go. Yes, amen. But crazy enough, I shot that film in 2010. 
Uh, when I went to go do the film, it was pretty awesome. T-Bone was in it. We had um, Stephen Baldwin and so many others on the set. And it was just a great, a great atmosphere. And we had so much fun doing it that when I finished the film, 2011 came around. And I was like, what happened to that movie I made? 2012 came. And I'm like, word, we didn't even go to DVD? 2013 came. And um, crazy enough, on Instagram, all this social media stuff, uh, on Instagram, I saw that Ja Rule was at Megafest. And promoting, I'm in love with a church girl. So I DM'd him. I'm like, word, how are you going to promote this without the church girl? Me. Um, and he was like, you know, we reached out once again and your management said no, that this wasn't a project that you'd want to promote. And again, um, sadly, sometimes people in the industry will think, oh, if you're too cool to act like you know Jesus or you're too cool to act like God has made an impact on your life or you're too cool to get up on a platform and be like, this is what I believe. This is the foundation of who I am. And a lot of people were not into me being a part of a faith-based film. So uh, crazy enough, I said, whatever your next stop is, I want to be a part of promoting this film. I'm so excited of what it's, what it's doing. It actually was going to theaters. And they were like, don't worry, next stop is New York, meet us there. And that was at CCC, uh, Dr. A.R. Bernard's church. And when I got there, I did not know that the reason we finally were in theaters was because someone named Israel Houghton, who I did not know at the time, I didn't know his name at the time, what had brought us to Sony and had actually gotten us distribution. Thank you, well done. I was looking for it on DVD and you bought it to theaters, so I appreciate that. And during the service, the whole concept was he was actually going to lead worship at the church and then kind of bring us out and very similar to this, do a talk with us, with me, Ja Rule, T-Bone, and Stephen Baldwin. And then we'd play the trailer for churches to go and support the film. Oh, that's nice. When he started singing, I, afterwards we met in the green room and I'm like, those are great songs. I grew up singing some of those, some, so many of those songs in church. I'm like, I love that you did those songs. Like, who, who sings those? I always wanted to know. He's like, those those are my songs. I don't really think you said it that way. I can't remember how, but I got the point that all these songs that I grew up singing in church were actually his songs. And I'm we even became friends. That now. Right? You know, we're singing songs. I just keep looking. Did you write that one? Did you write that one? I'll that's text me. him. I'll be like, this is a great song. Did you write that one? You know? Literally. Like, oh, that's I'm like, Israel. Yeah. Like so many people talk like Echo from Elevation, like so many of those songs. I'm like, oh, my husband wrote that song. Mm -hmm. But, um, at that point, we just became friends. And it wasn't until three years later that we even saw each other in a romantic way. And it was like, oh, hello there, friend. The day I met her, I met her entire family. Her so mother, crazy. her sister, brother-in-law, who became one of my best friends yeah. in the world. And uh, I'm just very, very grateful. We've talked about this. I, I, I got grafted into the greatest family I've ever seen. So I'm... I'm honored. Yeah. How, how do you find time for each other with extremely busy schedules being kind of popular and all this other stuff? Do you have to be intentional about yeah. time between just the two of you? Yeah. We do. I mean, I might answer two questions at once. The, the best thing that happened to us, and I know this is going to sound a bit oxymoronic, is that the pandemic happened two years ago. And so we, we got to be together every day for the last two years. And any projects we've done, we've essentially done together. Like even when they did the reel from home for a year and a half, I was like the lighting guy, the tech guy, the sound guy. The Meet my PA, Israel <laughs> Houghton. Right, right. He was craft services. He was grabbing me water if I was thirsty. And that was awesome. Yeah. And out of that, you know, we did uh, a couple years ago, we did the feels, it feels like, no, a year and a half ago, yeah. we did feels, feels like, like home. home. 
And uh, that was all her. Like we, we'd, we'd, we would go for walks in the morning. She was like, I got this idea. Let's have everybody come and we'll, we'll just pack into the house and we'll just record it and see what happens. And the rest is kind of history because it ended up being easily the most fulfilling project yeah. I've ever been involved in. Crazy enough, when we did premarital counseling uh, with Sarah and Teray Roberts, um, one of the things they told us were like, you have to set like literal things in place to make sure that you guys do spend time together, be intentional about it. And one of the rules we set in place was that we would never be apart for more than 10 days. So with both of us traveling and with both of us, whether it's like filming a movie or producing a film or scoring a film or traveling for work and concerts and touring, that we would never go more than 10 days apart. And we've stuck to that. We have. And I actually for- start getting weird after about three days. I, <laughs> I was going to say that. I got to go home. He went to South Africa and literally on like the third third day he was supposed to be there for nine days exactly because remember we had to hold to you know the commitment that we made to each other and and I think for everybody it might be different but it's so important to have those conversations prior to and be honest about what it is that you need what it is that you require some people may say okay I don't I don't need that we we need that we enjoy being around each other and the more we're around each other the more we like each other that is true Adrian how did you get um into the entertainment industry. How did that happen? I told you the story. Yeah. Was it last night? <laughs> <laughs> share what you'd like to share. Yes. No, we had a great conversation last night at dinner. And I, I really do believe that um, even when you try to, you know, take control of your own destiny, God always still has his plan for your life. I grew up singing in church. Uh, my dad was a worship leader. My mom was superintendent of children's ministries for the Assemblies of God. Mm. And um, I grew up in children's choir, Kids of the Kingdom. And uh, I loved singing. I was in every church play. And at some point I was like, I would love, love to really do this um, professionally. But yo, when you grow up in the hood, you have no clue how that even goes. You don't have any connections. You're like, okay, well, I want to sing. Lord, how do I even make that happen? And if I'm being honest, I, I was like, I have to be realistic. That's just not going to happen for me. And I'm okay with forever singing in church and that works just fine. At least I get to do what I love. And instead, my sister was going to a medical, a specialized high school for people that wanted to be in the medical industry. And I was like, won't go to Juilliard, won't go to LaGuardia because I couldn't afford a headshot or a demo. But I'm going to go to this school and see what happens. Maybe I'll become an obstetrician and sing the babies out of the womb. Uh, And I ended up going to this school. And in your sophomore year, they require that you do an internship. And so I did an internship at Beth Israel right across the street. And I was filing some papers one day and in walked a guy and said, yo ma, you sing? And I turned around and I was like, as a matter of fact, I do. Um, But I I heard Oprah once say um, that there's no such thing as luck. It is about preparation meets opportunity. And I got to say, all those years honing my craft in church, I was ready for my opportunity. And little did I know, I was like, okay, maybe I am destined for this because God really did open the doors for me in the strangest way. Even though I thought it would never happen, God literally made it happen. The story is so random. This guy walked in, he says this to me, by the way, I've never seen him again. I know his name was Reggie. And I've never seen him again in my life. And he gave me his card and was like, can you get some of the other young girls from uh, your high school to come audition because we're putting together a girl group. Little did I know the group I auditioned for was 3LW and the rest is history. And from 3LW to Cheetah Girls and on. Isn't it something how God kind of orchestrates all these things even around us in spite of us, through us, and we don't even know 
what is coming. You grew up in church too, yes? Yeah. Tell us about your upbringing with He's regard to worship. He's a PK. I, um, I mean, I have to go to the beginning, so I'll tell, tell it in 20 seconds. My mother got pregnant when she was 17. My mother was white. She still is white, actually. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> My father was black. And um, there was a whole lot of pressure. She was, she was a rising star as a classical pianist and, like, you know, a very, very accomplished prodigy. And so everybody around her is like, hey, we know a guy who knows a guy. We could get you an abortion and you could keep it pushing. And for some reason, she just knew, I'm not going to do that. And I, I thank God for that, of course. But um, at the same time, uh, juxtaposed against that was she had a drug problem. So while she's pregnant, she's also doing drugs. She ends up in California, Southern California, goes in for the checkup or whatever. And they, they realize she has like hard drugs in her system. So they inform her, hey, you are considered by the state of California an unfit mother. So we are going to take your child from you the moment he's born. And, you know, you can imagine just the weight of that. She's essentially homeless, like knew some friends, but, you know, she's crashing on somebody's couch, you know, and at this point she's eight months pregnant and she's out walking by the beach and a lady sees her from across the street and just felt prompted to come and talk to her. So she walks across the street. She was a true gracist, by the way. Um, and she just shared the gospel with her. She said, I don't know you, but I felt like I had to just come and tell you that Jesus loves you and cares about you. Now she could have said, I see you're pregnant. You're not married. You, you clearly smell like weed or you know, whatever, and could have condemned her and instead sat down on the curb with her and prayed a simple prayer with her. And to hear my mother tell the story, she never touched another drug again from that moment. And I know that that is unique. And I know that that's a miracle. And I thank God for that. But when she went to give birth a month later, all those drugs are out of her system. So they can't enforce this unfit mother thing. And uh, long story short, she, she ended up marrying my stepfather when I was a year old. So I was raised as the only black kid in a white family in a Hispanic community and wow. church. So I, I've been confused my whole life, y'all. Um, <laughs> I bet you that informs your music, though, because it does. of all that sure. background. 100%. Because you're a multicultural guy, too, and you believe in bridge building and gracism and all of that. I even remember our first conversation on the phone. You're like, I'm a gracist. I just want you to know I'm a gracist. And, and you truly are. Absolutely. But do you think that, like, a white French mother, uh, Jamaican biological father, or a white dad, stepdad, and a Latino And then a bunch of church. Mexicans were all my friends. Mexicans, yeah. <laughs> yeah, right? Married to Puerto Rican. I mean, at the end of the day, you're a pretty multicultural guy. We are in a time in our country where, you know, these bridges need to be built, but there's still so much so much racism against black and brown people. And my white brothers and sisters are afraid and scared uh, themselves. And everybody's kind of staking out like, you know, like these are battle lines. How do you help uh, build those bridges, even using music and using your voice? And the same for you, Adrian, because you have a voice, you have a platform. How do we build these bridges together? You know, I remember, gosh, it's been almost 30 years now, going to Nashville and, you know, talking to experts and they're like, hey, we like your music, but you're not really white enough for this box and you're not really black enough for this box. So what are you going to do? Mm. I think I shared this the last time we talked and I just like, well, I'm going to, I'm going to buy a bulldozer was like my analogy. And they're like, what do you mean? And I said, I'm going to carve my own path. Mm. 
Mm. I'm going to build my own on-ramp, you know? And, um, and I f did feel like music, I, well, uh, Dr. King said the most segregated day of the week is, yeah. is Sunday at yeah. 10 a.m., right? Yeah. So, so I, I knew music might be pervasive enough to get somebody to join in worship because, you know, when we first started with New Breed, pastors would be like, hey, do more of your black music tonight. <laughs> And then another pastor in another city would be like, hey, just play your guitar and do more of the white thing. Mm -hmm. And every one of them is like, I'm uncomfortable with this other gear you have or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I remember asking a very, very prominent pastor who just, he was like sort of the last straw for me. Mm -hmm. He's like, hey, play some, you know. And I was like, when you get to heaven, mm -hmm. what section are you planning on being in? And he just looked at me and I knew I was being kind of sarcastic and slightly rude. And I apologize for that. Um, but uh, he just looked at me like, and I said, there's no black section in heaven. There's no, hey, what would you prefer? And we'll, we'll go ahead and for the next 100,000 years of eternity, we'll let you be in this section. No. And so the idea of what's happening in heaven right now, let's model that here. Amen. And it has been a, it's been a difficult flag to fly over the years. And it's certainly, I mean, I, I, I'm not going to wax political at all, but I would say over the last four or five years, I feel like we got set back um, a decade or so. And so we're still clawing our way back, but I still believe that um, Jesus loves us all, regardless of skin tone, regardless of background. And um, he doesn't love anyone more than the other, and he doesn't love anyone less mm -hmm. than the other. So as a, as, a, as a brown girl, do you engage this topic in a different kind of way or see it from a different chair? Yeah, I mean, all the time, especially on The Real, we really do tackle these really difficult conversations. And just being honest, there are moments where it's wildly frustrating. You're sitting there and you feel like you're having the same conversation over and over again when we're having, you know, real talks about injustice. And you're like, okay, here's another story that we have to discuss. And you don't see the change. But I really do believe that... Um, if we can see the change starting anywhere, it should start with the church. It should start in the house of God where, you know, um, you are really being united. And just the other day, we were sitting here and we're like, it is so beautiful to see the diversity in this church. It actually blessed us. We just sat back and we're like, this is incredible. This is what the house of God should look like. Yeah, and it's great to have you guys as a part of it. You could clap for that because that oh. was good. Yeah. Y'all can clap at home You guys as well. are a part of a great house. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for that. And tell me the effect that Gracism has had on you. I mean, for me, I, it just, I think it's one of those things when you run into somebody who speaks your language. You know what I mean? It's like, imagine being in a foreign country or something, and everybody speaks the dialect of that country, and then you run into a Canadian, and you're like, oh my gosh, somebody who speaks English, this is fantastic. I feel it's that same kind of, in reading the book and then in talking to you and just going, oh, okay, we are on the same page because I, I think the church um, over time, I mean, if you want to talk about cancel culture, it originated in the early church. I think I, I ain't going to get no amens, but I don't care. Amen. I know what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. The point is, we are so good to go. We know our mission. We're going to win the lost at any cost. We've heard all those things. We've gone to every possible event and crusade around winning the lost. But let somebody who's been in the family, who's been on the home team their entire life, 
raised in church, in ministry, devoted to that. Let them have a human moment. Let them go through a divorce. Let them have a scandal, whatever it is. And it is amazing how quickly we will help the lost and kill the found. And if ever there has been a message that needs to be preached and needs to be preached everywhere, it's the message of gracism. Because granted, I know, I know the, the, the lift of that is dealing with skin tone and dealing with cultural backgrounds and that sort of thing. But when I think of grace, I think, hey, what if the same compassion and empathy that I have toward that woman who's 17 years old, eight months pregnant, walking down the street, and her life changes because somebody reaches out to her. Imagine I had that same empathy and connection and grace and mercy and care for somebody who disappointed me because they're a leader. And I just thought they're actually not human. They are this super Christian cyborg alien person who never goes to the bathroom, has never had gas in their life, do you understand? Only sings in perfect pitch and, and just hovers wherever they go. And just, it's just Jesus and hovering and halos and Disney music. And the truth is, that's not real. And if the, if the last two years have proven anything, people are hurting. People are depressed. People are anxious. People are addicted. People are in toxic relationships. And those are the people that because we we have revered them so in a non-human way, we're shocked when they go, hey, I'm human, yeah. and I fell down, mm. and I thought I fell uh, from grace, but I actually fell to grace. Yeah. Mm. And I think the message of again. gracism is, I'm going to consider you, regardless of your skin tone, yeah. but I'm going re- to consider you and lift you up and heal with you and help you regardless of your infractions. Yeah. And I wish that that message was more normalized and more pervasive in the church. And the, only, and the thing that is going to make it more normalized is when more leaders have to bear their scars and go, can somebody heal with me? Can somebody yeah. work with me? Can somebody love me in spite of my disappointment? Yeah. Oh, that's so good. So good. That's so good. So, so you want to speak to that? Are you, are you good? I completely agree. I just, I just think, um, I think there are also times where we preach grace, but it's so much harder for us to act it out, to live it. Um, and I feel like we call ourselves Christians because we're trying to be more like Christ. And that is the greatest example of grace, the way God loves us every single day and accepts us and works with us and works through us. Uh, so I, I think, that although it may be hard at times to do, it should absolutely be the focus of, of what we want to be and how we want to be is to just walk in grace. It's so important. And it's not only for those who get saved, you're right, but really for those who are already saved. I think that the next beachhead of, a, beachhead of evangelism is not going to be unbelievers, but lost believers. And many churches around the country that I've uh, talked to, they said, you know, a third of the people are back in the church, a third are online, and a third are just in the wind. And that 30%, 33% that's in the wind, uh, they're disillusioned, they're deconstructing 
religion. They're deconstructing faith. They're kind of tired of the church. They're tired of the inauthenticity. And so I think the next beachhead is going to be, how do we win lost believers? And I think grace and gracism especially is going to have to help that because they're almost done or disillusioned. The reason they're done and disillusioned, and I have had the, I guess I'll call it a privilege of talking to some of these people. Um, these are people who were active in their church pre-pandemic, were serving, were being called upon, were being checked upon. Hey, you okay? Uh, we need you this Sunday to serve. Okay, great. I'll be there. Pandemic hits. We're no longer having in-person services for however long. And these people are just completely forgotten. And they're going through hell in their own lives, and yet nobody's reaching out. And I think this, the moment we stop looking at people as transactional widgets yeah. for whatever we need to accomplish, you just, use them for what you need. just using them for the moment, you know, as opposed to, I'm walking with you in a relationship for as long as you want to walk with me. And I'm going to check on you. I'm going to care about you. I'm going to look after you. I'm going to make sure that your family's okay. I'm going to make sure you got food in the house. I'm going to make sure, you know, like to me, that is true grace in action. And I love what you said. I think, I think this next revival, I actually think this next revival is not going to happen necessarily within the four walls of the church. I believe it's going to happen in the marketplace. I believe so much of it is happening online. And I believe that people who have a preconceived idea of what they think church is mm -hmm. and, and the hurt associated yeah. with yeah. that are about to experience um, a level of grace they never knew. And I think it's going to take people who walk with this message, know the seven statements of a gracist, and walk that out yeah. with everyone. And not just people that speak my language. Matter of fact, People that used to speak my language who are, like you said, disillusioned and in the wind, yeah. those are the people I want to bring grace to. Well, you know, there's a uh, eighth saying of a gracious that we're, we're going to tell you all today. Um, but, you know, the seventh saying is, I will celebrate with you, rejoice with those who rejoice. But there's a next portion there. Uh, mourn with those who mourn or grieve with those who grieve. And so uh, we're, we're coming out, as you know, I've talked about this book, uh, the eighth saying of a gracist, I will heal with you. And having empathy when other people mourn and grieve and come to find out when we were talking, that's right along the lines of some of the stuff that you have been thinking. So Adrian, you know, I asked your husband, I was like, why don't you write a gracism song for me? And then, you know, I said, why don't we unveil it, right? And then... Uh, and then he got here this weekend. It's like, yeah, I really don't have a song done. And so I was figuring, well, maybe if I ask Adrian, maybe she'll write it or something. But uh, actually, when we were thinking about it, tell them why, as you kept trying to work on this, what, what happened? What did God do? Yeah, I, um, you know, I'm, I'm pretty much at our house in L.A. I'm writing every day for something, someone, with someone, or just writing. It's just part of my exercise. And I kept getting around this concept, reading the book again, going, okay, what, how do I, how do I write a gracism theme song? And I totally felt like the Lord was like, this is bigger than just, let me put a song together and go present it on the weekend. This is a bigger message. It's a bigger concept. It's bigger than one song. And I, you know, we're talking about some synergy around that now and, and even around the book and possibly adding a worship, uh, uh, yeah. a worship experience companion uh, music to that. And uh, 
I cool. that I feel really great about, and we're gonna we're kind of already yeah. in earnest working on that. So stay tuned because it's yeah, gonna be cool. it's gonna be a good 2022. That's pretty cool, man. I like it. I like it. So one of the things we did last year as we kind of land in the plane is the act of grace is communion, yep. where we share in the bread and the blood of Christ. And I'm just going to say for you guys at home, if you want to get your communion elements, why don't you just grab something, grab a cracker or a Dorito or a Diet Coke or a cup of coffee or something, because we're actually going to share in communion together. But do you remember what we had last time? I do. We were reminiscing about it last night. It was the most unique communion experience I've ever had. It was a donut and some cranberry juice, I think. Fantastic. And look. Look at that. And so we like have we're a donut. A dish here. Look at so that, fun. guys. I Ooh. dare you to get the white one. That is so fun, right? No, don't do it. All over the house. Because you'll be all. Mm -hmm. I thought there was a racial. No, 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 no. <laughs> but I am grabbing the chocolate one okay, right now. Okay, my man. <laughs> Thank you, Tori. Thank you, Tori. So we're going to have communion with donuts yes. and cranberry juice. <laughs> and so for those of you who have your, your elements, you know, it was bread and it was wine. And the reality is when you see that act of grace, it's pretty amazing. What is it? Well, we know that the bread is the body and the wine is the blood. That's what it represents. But it also represents gracism in such an amazing way because bread was for the poor and wine was for the rich. Wow. Wow. And isn't it something how Jesus can bring together and build bridges between classes and groups of people? And now today when we eat, it doesn't matter whether we're Jew or Gentile or slave or free or, you know, Scythian or Greek or male or female. When we come to the table, it's like he's bringing all that together. Yeah, yeah. And only Jesus can bring us together. So whether you're at home or whether you're in your car, if you just have something, let's now commune together with the bread. As my dad would always say in church, say thank you, Jesus, three times. So come on, let's say thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And now for the blood that was shed for you. And without the shedding of blood, there would be no remission for sin. Let's drink the cup together. Let's say thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. That was good. Spiritually, it was good, but I mean, the donut was actually really good. Really too. good, yeah. I've never heard that. What? Wine was for the rich, bread was for the poor. As many communion services I've sat in, I've never heard that. I'm going to steal that forever. Thank you very much. Praise God. I'm sure I learned it from someone First else. two times I'll be like, Dr. David Anderson said. <laughs> right. And then it'll be By the third time I'll be like, like I always say. <laughs> Man, new wine, new wine, new wine scans. Well, I do know that you have a song at least that you can uh, I do. sing together. Consolation prize song. Yeah. 
But that's, it's that's about it. grace. It's about grace. <laughs> but I have a song first that I think, because, you know, Israel, let me sit there and play, because I can play the piano, you know. You can? I can. <laughs> you want to see me? Yes. Come on. Ready. Who's ready for this? All this right, is wanna, awesome. Adrian, you, 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 and, uh, you and Hubby can sing with me. Okay. Now, I'm just going to tell y'all, my people already know this, but I only got one song in me. Okay. Y'all know what it is, don't you? Well, actually, two songs. The first one is, David is the best in the whole wide west on CBS in the whole U.S. Oh, yes. Okay. That was why my mom always said that, you know, God gives grace to the humble. The fact that they are familiar with this is scaring me a little. <laughs> but they won't sing They're like, it with yeah. me. They won't sing it with me. But this one they will. Let's see if, I, if you know it. Right? Okay, ready? That's a five. Soon uh, 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 soon uh, very soon. We are going to see the king. Oh, soon and very soon. Yeah, man. We are going to see the king. Soon and very soon. We are going to see the king. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That is That's impressive. <laughs> now, y'all do the real thing, okay? You let's, don't want me to play the piano. Oh, y'all do the real thing. And <laughs> thank you so much, that seriously, so awesome. for being here, for worshiping with us, for leading us in worship, and uh, even for your ministry. And Lord, I just lift up my brother and my sister. I thank you so much for them. Would you use them, protect them, cover them with your grace? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.
Thanks for listening to the Bridgeway Community Church Sunday Sermon Podcast. To learn more about Bridgeway, visit our website at bridgeway.cc. To watch all of our sermons, visit our YouTube channel and make sure you subscribe while you're there. If you'd like to download sermon notes, just click the link in the description. If you'd like to take part in our 30th anniversary challenge, go to bridgeway.cc 30. That's bridgeway.cc slash T-H-I-R-T-Y. Thanks again for listening and have a great week.